what is it like when the team that you have come to know and love and seen fighting for championships maybe has to shift its focus? M. Adler knows well and is covering the WNBA for a couple of teams who kind of are going through it right now. This is the Lockdown Women's Basketball Podcast. Let's go. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Thank you for joining us today on the Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast, brought to you by The Next Hoops. I'm Alex Simon, an editor and reporter over at Bay Area News Group, filling in for Howard Mengel today. He's taken a little book pinch hit day, and uh, let me step in here on this Wednesday for you. We want to thank you for making the Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Locked On Women's Basketball is part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team every day and folks this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook the official sportsbook of Locked On make every moment more visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started on today's episode we're going to be talking about two contenders who have won multiple WNBA championships but what it's like to be a fan of those teams as they start to go through rebuilding and Adler has done that themselves with their fandom in different sports. And we've seen some teams take it to the extreme in other sports. And we'll talk about what that's like and how being a fan of that is. And we'll also talk about what it's like when your team isn't trying to rebuild, but they kind of are starting to have to do it anyway. And Adler, thank you for joining us. You've covered the Seattle Storm and just the WNBA writ large for a while. But I do think it's important to make note that you, you are a basketball fan of other sports, including the men's basketball league here in the United States, the National Basketball Association, where we've had, I should not forget our friends in Toronto, uh, but there's been some pretty extreme examples in the men's league of teams going all out in uh, not competing for a title, let's say. Yeah, I. that's been a, let's call it a scourge on the, on the men's NBA in recent years. I mean, they just changed a couple of years ago, the lottery uh, odds to ensure that not to ensure, but to at least discourage uh, such tanking. It hasn't necessarily worked in the way that maybe they intended, but also like, it's pretty rare that you see teams go all out to rebuild the way that, you know, as you alluded to, I'm a fan of the 76ers as the way the Sixers did uh, between basically 2012 and you can define things differently. 2020, 2022, maybe the process is still ongoing. But it's pretty rare that teams go all out like that. It's mostly a problem in baseball that teams will intentionally just eschew any hope of winning for a certain period of time. In basketball, it usually just so happens that, you know, in the cycle of winning, there's a natural cycle that basically every team and organization goes through. And in baseball or basketball, usually, you just sort of find yourself on the low end of it. Less yeah. than purpose. In the San Francisco Bay Area specifically, I mean, we've had the Golden State Warriors who for about 40 years in between titles had maybe two periods where they were actually competitive on the basketball court. And those periods were fleeting at best once the first era ended. I mean, my entire childhood growing up in the Bay Area, the Warriors had one playoff season until I was a senior in high school. And that one season was 
notably thought of to be a fluke to the point that the we entire believe. behind it was we believe and then they pulled off a great upset and didn't make mm-hmm. the playoffs again until Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green arrived. So you look at the teams in the NBA, and certainly there's cycles. There's obviously more teams in the NBA, and the playoff spots relative to the percentage of the league is smaller. 16 out of 30 make it, so 14 don't. And you know there's going to be teams at the bottom of that. In the WNBA, there are only 12 teams and eight make the playoffs. So relatively speaking, it's actually twice as hard to miss the playoffs than it is to make <laughs> the playoffs. But it's a lot of effort. But there still is only one champion and that level of performance are you, and this is something you wrote about very strongly in a great piece called time for us to look at things differently. A nice little quote tweet quote at the top of this uh, on Seattle, Minnesota rebuilding and fandom. When you look at the WNBA making the playoffs, isn't really the achievement that it would be in other leagues, just based off of the fact that two thirds of the league makes it. But it also kind of puts teams in this weird spot where, you know, if you're not close to being a championship level contender, is it worth it to fight for those last couple of spots in the playoffs? And I think to that point in the in the NBA right now, you have two th- the same percentage, two thirds of teams reach a postseason, but not the playoffs. It's a little mm-hmm. weird the fact that we even have that distinction which is a very silly question for another day. But, you know, they have the play-in tournament. And the WNBA, you know, you don't have the play-in tournament. We just go to best of three, best of five series. I can't remember what the first one is. It's best of three. Yeah, it's best of three. I remember, I, yeah, I remember Phoenix being put out of its misery very quickly last year. That's how I got to that one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you just compare both of, both of those things, like in, in, the, in the men's NBA, we – you know, across the board, I think most people have been enjoying the play-in tournament, and it's very clear that there is a benefit to allowing teams that maybe, you know, have a have a puncher's chance to get in, or maybe get some interesting things at the end of the season. And so, you know, just being able to keep seeing those those teams and say, hey, like, if this team, the interesting thing they've done over the past two weeks is actually like a playoff strategy, then like this gives you an opportunity to it and to be more interesting with that and it's worked out really well in the WNBA, it's not that set up it's not you know we have the eight and seven we have the five six seven eight seats and that would be the right now we don't have the seven eight nine ten seats go up against each other to see who can like get in on like a you know, single double elimination bracket now and so what you have is pretty much every year with basically the exception of 2021 last year yeah, well, 2021 with uh, Phoenix Mercury, obviously. Uh, the Chicago Sky were the six seeds, so, you know, they were above that. But with the Phoenix Mercury that year, and but they were significantly injured for a lot of the season. Um, and last year with the Liberty almost pulling off, at least they were interesting against the Chicago Sky in that first round mm-hmm. series. Outside of those things, you know, you really see the seven and eight seeds just, just kind of get crushed and go home uh pretty sad and they didn't really have a country's chance. And I think that's the thing that you were saying about the Warriors for 40 years is, as I mentioned before, you know, you have this cycle of winning in which, you know, you you start off building uh, assets for future contention and then those start to hit and you consolidate um, better, you consolidate your more future ass- assets as you actually start competing and try to put your chips on the table. Maybe you trade young players or picks for veterans to get you over the top. And when, then once you get over the top, you know, those veterans, they age out players need to be paid more and so you find yourself in the downswing of contention because it's harder there is basically one good exception to that cycle that you can 
go out of. And it's just, if you're mediocre, if you're just mediocre for a while, then like that's really sustainable. It's terrible and it's really sustainable because there's no chance of competing. That's what you're saying with the Warriors. And then the WNBA, if you're the seven and eight seed, and you're in that lane for a while, you can be mediocre for years. It's highly sustainable. But it doesn't get you to the point of ever coming close to sniffing the championship. And notably, you can actually look at in the NBA, though, the other part is the tank does guarantee if you decide that you do not want to be competitive on the basketball floor, a certain element where the 76ers were horrible and you got to watch it for a while. But there is a it little was bit so of, much fun too. But that's that's the part that I found most interesting. Did you? It seems as if there's some joy in that level of kind of mediocre, not just mediocrity, but horrendousness. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple aspects that go into it. The first, I think, being, and this is you know the thing I mentioned throughout the piece, the thing that I think was most prescient or not most pressing among the reasons that I wanted to talk to. Michael Levin, co-host of the Red Sturkey Sanchez podcast, is because the biggest difference, I think, for a fan between true tanking and, you know, true contention without necessarily being the, the like, odds-on title favorite is that it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of stress to contend for titles without necessarily, like, you know, having in the bag. The Seattle Storm. Quickly in 2018, it was clear, like, oh, this is a team above the, above the cup from the rest. 2020, there was really no question about it. Um, you know, even, unless Angel McCautry was going to somehow get to 35 minutes a game but by the playoffs, which he never really was. It was always you know, the Storm are the best team outside of Houston or uh, the prior year's Mystics in WNBA history. And it's stressful otherwise than that. Imagine being a fan of the Chicago Sky in 2021 before they won the title and having to go through that. I mean, even last year, you can look at the fact that the Sky were considered a title favorite, but then ultimately kind of crashed out in that semifinal mm -hmm. round, which is something that, you know, I'm sure the stress is there. But we can kind of talk about, especially in the context of the WNBA teams who are maybe in this point now that you've written about, what it's like to be fans of them right now in a minute. But first, before we do that, I want to talk to you, our dear listeners here, about better help. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's really easy to just get super busy in life and work so hard to give to others, but it's important to make sure that you take some time and give to yourself too. BetterHelp is here if you're thinking about starting therapy. It's entirely online, it can be suited to your schedule, and it's specifically designed to be convenient and flexible. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P.com slash locked on NBA, L O C K E D O N N B A. And don't forget, folks, we, we're kind of talking a little bit about men's basketball here. And the Locked On NBA Draft Live Show is coming just this Thursday night, tomorrow night. Pick-by-pick -pick analysis from our stable of local NBA hosts, national reactions from our NBA big board hosts, and live check-ins from inside the NBA draft. I, we love what M. Adler does on the WNBA draft coverage, but if you're looking for the NBA draft coverage, be sure to check out the Locked On NBA Draft live show starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. You can pull it up on Locked On NBA's YouTube page as you're watching either the Mystic Sky or the Sun Lynx game on Thursday night. And if you wanted to watch those links, M, what are fans maybe going to be able to tune in 
with expectations for right now. But but I guess if you were to tell people what is there to tune in for in in a year where Cheryl Reeve seems to be, you know, not directly stating, you know, there's no we're tanking or anything like that, but saying that we're resetting things. She's putting some quotes there. What is the reason to still keep tuning in in your mind? So this actually gets into the other thing about the fan experience of tanking, but not necessarily in the way of we're just going to be in, in the baseball sense. The baseball sense, tanking is almost never fun. You, you can never have interesting assets in baseball while you're also tanking just because of the way that value works. When it comes to basketball, this is what made the process itself so so unique in its own experience. This is what makes the Oklahoma uh, City Thunders uh, almost tank, not really kind of a tank over the past three seasons so interesting. This is what makes the Seattle Storm this year so interesting is it's the one benefit is, is less stress. The, the other benefit is you just get to see a bunch of people go out in the court and they're going to play their hearts out because these are people who, you know, just you're not trying to compete. You're signing people who aren't going to get you over the hub. You're signing people who hopefully are probably on the younger side, probably unproven, probably, you know, just talents that you haven't seen before. You're giving them a second chance in a new light. And there's a lot of potential on the court. And that's the thing that, you know, when you're looking at a tank job, that's what you're really rooting for. That was the thing about the, with the process. So, revolutionary like i said was um you know i mentioned the rookie before uh, i have a sh- i have a shirt of theirs it's one of my favorite shirts that i have and it's one of those shirts that has you know all like uh it's that style of shirt that started a few years ago where it's like last name ampersand new line last name ampersand new line and it's the names of over 50 people or over 40 people who played for the sixers in a three-year span when they were tanking and just churning through people trying to see who could uh present value to their next good team I think, if you're in Minnesota, you have a couple of people like that in this roster. I think that's what you're looking for. And you kind of look, you know, you're looking for that lightning in a bottle player, if you will. Yeah. And to some extent, you don't know if you can find lightning in a bottle if you're only trying out a few bottles. But mm-hmm. when you do it this way and you keep testing and, you know, the way the Sixers did it was to just kind of shuffle through so many guys that you never know when the player that all of a sudden is somebody that you don't realize is really talented can just emerge and be somebody that either you build around or for that player specifically, you know, for as much as organizations are the ones that kind of set the rebuild, each player is playing for their own careers that have a very specific amount. So exactly like you're saying, every player is going to give it their all and try because they have to create a career. And you can even see that in Seattle, I think, especially this season where some players who are kind of mid career, either, rookies in the WNBA sense but are older than rookies and even you know all throughout the WNBA this is happening but especially in Seattle you've got at least several examples of players who are clearly trying to work their way into a WNBA career that are getting opportunity in Seattle they would not be getting elsewhere right now yeah and to your point about lightning in a bottle it it doesn't need to be that level of finding it you don't need to find a contributor of that level like you know Ivana Dojkic for the Seattle Storm is in their starting lineup. At this point, she's she's very, very easily the second best rookie in the, in the league. And she should very easily finish, you know, if if people got ballots that were longer than literally fill in one name for a year, at end of the season end of the day, she, she, she should easily, by a good margin, be number two in rookie of the year. But 
you don't necessarily need to find someone who's like a 45, 38, 80 shooter who also plays excellent wing and help defense to be productive during your losing years. You just need to find people who can provide value to some team, whether it's training them to another team and getting a useful pick back, like a 2024 second round pick is a really good asset or finding people who can be role players on your next good team. And that's what I think you can say that you're seeing in Minnesota. It's a little trickier just because of the ages of the players that they're doing this with. But, you know, Tiffany Mitchell in the in the point role that she's at this year has looked really interesting and mm-hmm. is like and is and is probably maybe the best backup point guard in the league right now. Um, at least if she if she's still coming off the bench, she'll really screw to look around with that a little bit. You want to see Bridget Carlton getting more minutes and seeing if she can have a more diverse shot diet. And that's what that's what they've been doing with her in recent games after having a slow start to her season. You want to see if Rachel Bam in an off ball role can, you know, at her age, she's probably gonna get traded if she can actually contribute in, in that off ball role. But that's what you that's what you're looking for. Those are the those are your signs of hope. And even then, for the players that are on the younger side that are still, you know, I actually just talked about this with Missy Heydrich on Monday's show on the Lockdown Women's Basketball Podcast. When you get a player like Diamond Miller, who is clearly someone you're going to build around, on some teams, Diamond might not be able to get as many minutes as she's getting in Minnesota because they're trying to compete in the here and now. But if Minnesota is about developing Diamond into being reaching her full potential, which is what you would say borderline all WNBA player, definitely an all-star as the potential for, for her. Sure. You would want to give her some chance to grow. And that does involve letting her struggle at times on the floor and not just if she's struggling, pull her off. You've got to let players fail to learn how to handle failure and then learn how to beat what they're failing at. And it's certainly a lot easier to do if your plan is not win every single game, every single time, no matter what. And we're focused more on development over necessarily the winning in the immediate moment. Yeah, and it's not just, you know, in Minnesota, it's not just doing that with Diamond. That's what they're doing with Fee. You know, Nafisa Collier came into the league as polished as she was at a UConn. It's still, a, it is still mind-boggling she went sixth in that draft. That draft has <laughs> ended up being a lot deeper than, like, we thought it would be at the moment. Like, Marina Mabry going, I think, 19th overall when she's a top-five talent. And that draft is ridiculous in and of itself. But... To that point, Nafisa Collier came into the league polished and and you know, she won Rookie of the Year and she was fitting into what Minnesota really needed to have someone be able to do is you know be able to be uh, a great play finisher and also uh, like a great number two defender. You know they had Sylvia Fowles, but you also need to add a little more around that and that allowed them to keep being in that mid pack that three four five seed range. But they were in a place with that where she came in and she was able to fit in and she was so polished. But there has not been until this year really an opportunity for her to screw around, experiment with things, really see, you know, how much she can move her off the dribble game, how much on defense she can actually be a primary protector if possible, how much they can really mess with her as in terms of a spacer. And obviously she didn't play last season at all, coming back from a pregnancy and yes. giving successfully giving no. birth. She but it, she, she just at the very the end of the season, yes. But yeah. she did not play close to even a partial season. It was just a couple yes. of games at the very end. And that's kind of the point. Minnesota, for a while, kept trying to go. And with Sylvia Fowles on the roster, you should keep trying to win a championship, even if it looks like it's going to be a harder and harder thing to reach. Mm-hmm. But they have made the commitment at this point. And not only is it potentially helping them find out more about the players they currently have, but it obviously... the unspoken caveat with all of this, it puts you in position to get 
the best of the best players that are ahead in future draft classes, which there are quite a few of them, including maybe one or two that are Minnesota tied or locally close to Minnesota or uh, certainly would be of interest to the links in terms of local stars at the college level. Yeah. And in addition, I think on the other side of this thing, you know, obviously I focused on Salem, Minnesota um, and you know, the Seattle sort of not their version of fee because you know, it was a different ramp up into the role, but someone else who, you know, came in, had a, when they were in a big role already had some top tier skills polished off and ready as a macro you know, we've really enjoyed seeing your game grow over the years, and it's clearly been a player development case. You get more minutes as you grow, which helps you get more chance you get more minutes, yada, yada, yada. But she's also getting a chance this year to really be the number two, number three option on offense and see how her driving game can go. See if there's post, not so much if there's a post game. Seattle loves playing the space. They kind of know the post game is really a thing of the past if you can uh, play without it really makes their offense remarkable. It's so much fun what they're doing just on offense with the spacing and everything, but but I digress. But it, it's giving her the larger role in saying, hey, can you adjust to these growing pains? Let's see what you can do this year. It's the same thing that Diamond Miller has in Minnesota is what they're doing with Jordan Horston. Horston is someone who really needs to get up to speed to the WNBA. She's gotten there on defense, but on offense, you know, her shooting touch isn't there. And there's really only one way to get, to get the shooting touch in games, and that's get more game time, get more shots up really feel how you need to approach these shots in different ways because the windows are smaller than in college. And it's super fun like that. It's, it's, th there are a lot of opportunities um, there with, with a couple people who mentioned on both rosters to see stars in them, possibly in the making. And these two teams are teams that have certainly seemingly gone into this season with a specific plan to get to this point of their kind of arc of their franchises. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk about what happens when your franchise gets to a point of not contending when they weren't expecting to not contend and maybe had plans to contend. But first, I want to talk to our dear listeners here at the Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast about FanDuel. The WNBA season is in full swing at the moment. There are matchups darn near every night. If you want a taste of the action yourself, there is no better place to get that than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, customers get a no sweat first bet if they sign up anew that's up to one thousand dollars yes that's up to one thousand dollars back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win just go to fanduel.com slash locked on to join today fanduel has every WNBA game as well as so many other ways to get involved in the action this WNBA season um do you i mean like for example and if if fans felt strongly that you are just totally wrong about the storm and they are absolutely making the playoffs this year and maybe even winning it all, you can do that over at FanDuel. Or, you know, one of the players that I've identified as maybe one of the biggest emerging superstars in the league, Jackie Young, what if you think she's got a great chance to win the WNBA MVP this season because she can keep up this 20-plus point-a-night scoring with incredible perimeter defense? If you want to get involved in the action on both of those topics, you can do that and so much more over at FanDuel today. So don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet with up to $1,000 back if your bet doesn't win when you join today. Just go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N today. Welcome back to the Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast. M Adler along with Alex Simon here. And M, we've talked about teams that came into 2023 very much kind of intentionally setting themselves up to rebuild changing the uh, goals for the season, changing what they were hoping to have happen with their 
2023 season. But we can kind of look at one team in 2023 that is kind of trying to fix what it had done in the past couple of seasons and even a team in this season that isn't realizing where it's at, relatively speaking. You look at the Los Angeles Sparks, and they're a prime example from what they've done over their last two seasons of a team that didn't realize where their contention level was and were kind of throwing opportunities away to help rebuild to chase a type of contention that just frankly didn't happen. Yes. Uh, as far as the Sparks are concerned, that's, it's super interesting because when you have a player of NECA's caliber, as she, as it turns out that she's been, you, know, you could see in the moments, but also, you know, there's a special place in basketball. Uh, there's a special place in the basketball underworld for the coaching of Derek Fisher, given what we're seeing out of NECA right now, which is not quite the level of her 2016 MVP. Which, which was, uh, you know, the most efficient player in professional basketball history. But it's, uh, in her career, it's, sec- it's second to that, which is pretty impressive for someone of her age. Don't forget the general managing of Derek Fisher and what he did in terms of trading not one, but two straight years of first-round picks away from the Los Angeles Sparks that ended up being lottery selections because they were chasing a contention window with a team that wasn't necessarily built to be able to do that. And in both 2021 and 2022, they missed the playoffs and gave that lottery pick away to other teams that, you know, otherwise would probably have the sparks with some pretty good young players that other teams have kind of tipped their hat and said, thank you very much for that. Yeah. And it's not just that they were throwing away those years, but it's how they were throwing them away specifically, because as we've seen with Kurt Miller and the sparks this year, the sparks, despite their record, they've been played by injuries, but when they've, been able to play on the court. They've been really good. They were neck and neck with a Connecticut team that is deservedly second in the league. They were neck and neck with them through about 35 minutes in the game before basically the fact that uh, Los Angeles was running a seven-person rotation and their starters were all playing like 30-plus minutes before that sort of hit. But, I mean, Kurt is coaching a hell of a team. They are playing They're playing almost like a almost like a spaced-out version of a traditional, like, two-and-a-half big team. Part of it because Jordan Canada is having easily the best year of her career. She should be an all-star. They're leveraging Lexi Brown's spacing. It's a, it's amazing to think what they could do if like Stephanie Talbot was, was still healthy this year. I mean, NECA, again, amazing. If Derek Handy could finish anything, this team could, could possibly have only two or three losses. But I think in regards to what, what you're saying about you know teams who don't know where they are in the contention cycle, it, it's interesting because, you know, those Derek Fisher Sparks, I think, thought they were in a different place than they were. They thought they were a heck of a lot closer to a title uh, than they than they actually were. I think Kurt accurately assessed that and tried to overhaul the roster. What I think is interesting, and I, and I know what team you want to get to, but what's interesting, I think, with the teams we're talking about today is we know the deal with Minnesota the past few years. What I think was the biggest piece of, maybe the only piece of really, like, reporting reporting in that the article you talked about that I put out was the idea that for Seattle, they weren't trying to rebuild. They just sort of got backed into this corner. But once they were here, they embraced it. They. Well, well it's, amazing what happen- it, it's amazing what happens when the best player, arguably in the history of the WNBA and Brianna Stewart says, Hey, by the way, I I'm leaving. I'm going to a different place. You would never want to say that you're going to rebuild. If Stewie comes back, Changes the game, but the moments to we left, you have Sue Bird retiring. Gabby Williams still hasn't come over from her season in France, and that situation is still kind of mysterious. That's three players who were starters pretty much every time they were healthy last year that 
are no longer in the rotation, no longer on the team, no longer able to be here. So, we, yeah, you got to do something different, right? But I don't think – I don't I, I don't want to say that they were or were not uh, sort of committing to, all right, this is going to be not a tank, but like this is going to be sort of an experimental year before next year. I don't think they were at that point at that uh, after Stewie was gone. They were still going – Sloot took about a couple of days afterwards, and they were still very much in contention for – for Sloot, I can report, um, you know, they were still going after other free agents that they would have liked to sign, regardless of whether Stewie came back or not, but, you know, her waffling kind of with the tweets and everything, that, that had a real cost in their ability to keep players around. They would have loved to keep Stephanie Talbot if they could, but St- Talbot didn't know whether or not the minutes were going to be there until Stewie could sign out. She had a hell of an offer from from Los Angeles. They were, I, and again, this is the thing that I that, that I was able to get in the piece for the first time that, I, that I've been sitting on, but, like, they were going after Marina Mabry. They really mm-hmm. wanted Marina Mabry. And I think as we're seeing in Chicago, uh, I don't know if she's necessarily worth a full max plus three firsts and some pretty stacked draft classes, but she is so much better than what she looked like with Vicky Johnson in mm-hmm. Dallas. She is easily, I think, a top five guard in the league this year. And it would have been very interesting if they had been able to pair her with, with Jewel Boyd and Ivana Dojkic as they did. But you can see... You can see sort of if you if you piece these things together, this is a team that's still in Jewel Ward's prime, was trying to improve at whatever margins they could. And I don't think ultimately that would have put them in a very good position when it came to being able to be a contender, especially because they got really lucky to get Jordan Horston where they did. But you can sort of see how once they once the main free agency period ends and all the stars sign, they look around and they go, Oh, right, I guess there's only one yeah. option left. And and again, it there, there aren't ne- not every team necessarily is in it to win a championship, even the ones that seem to be trying to contend and trying to do well. And in this season, with the two, two super teams in particular, it would probably be very difficult to be any team that doesn't think that they can get to that level or be close to that level to, to say, let's go all in and chase it this year because what the best you might be is fifth if you were doing that with how good also the secondary teams in Connecticut and Washington were at making the you know, making the choice to U-turn rather than necessarily plow forward if, without knowing how far forward you could get certainly is a choice, especially because you've seen it with the team I do want to bring up in Phoenix where you can keep going at it without necessarily taking a reality check. And look, you mentioned this, the same thing with the Sparks. With Neka Gumake, you should always be trying to win. I think you could say the same to that extent with Jewel Lloyd, though understanding that if you take a one-year dip, there is a avenue and a way to jump right back up the phoenix mercury have very clearly stated that they were in this season for a championship and that is the goal as long as they they should have been on the roster but it wasn't necessarily the greatest evaluation of the roster that they had to say that they thought that this was going to be a championship possible roster and they're currently even beneath the two teams you wrote about in the standings in seattle and minnesota in 12th place all by themselves and not just that, I think you're starting, the, the biggest issue is you're starting off with the wrong thesis statement. I will say as an aside, obviously we had no idea what to expect from Brittany Griner coming back into the league. And I think there are very significant basketball reasons that the moment she is efficiency-wise having the best year of her career, she's averaging 20 points a game on, she basically can't miss. I think there are clear basketball reasons why. I think basically since over the past basically calendar year and a half, we've seen them pretty aggressively lurch away from, you know, rostering a lot of Kalani Browns and Liz Cambages to, you know, starting Neck is at the five, as he's at the five. 
uh, starting front courts of Satu and Natasha Howard. We're seeing teams really embrace spacing in a way that I think actually has kind of flown under the radar because, you know, these smaller bigs are versatile defensively, but not offensively. And I think that's, and that's just my aside on, you know, you can't really foresee Brittany Reiner just immediately having the best year of her career coming back from the wrongful detainment that cost her an entire year, obviously. But the issue is with the thesis statement, I think it's not, we are going to, we need to compete for a title every year Diana Taurasi is on the roster, because that would be true if you didn't have Brittany Griner on the roster. As long as Brittany Griner is there, the thesis statement has to be, we are going for a title every year that Brittany Griner is here, because that's your superstar. That is the, like, for the past, basically for the past three seasons that they have played together, Brittany Griner has been easily the better player. And Diana Taurasi has clearly showed signs of she's down to decline. She was still, you know, for, for as much grief as I gave her in the early season, she was still a positive, productive basketball player overall. She's hit the cliff this year. I mean, I mean it, it's pretty clear she's hit the cliff this year. And I think that's the problem with your thesis statement originally. It's it's by no stretch of the imagination is Brittany Griner this year <laughs> next year going to, not going to be a better player than Diana Taurasi. It's very obvious. You have to prepare for the cards you're dealt. Cards you're dealt is you might have the best center in league history. Well, the point being, though, the thing that I'm saying is how Phoenix approaches it. it whether or not they should approach yes. it that way, that is their approach. That yeah. is Jim Pittman. I agree that they. I don't know how many. I agree they've had a really bad approach. Me and I also think that, like, yeah, I agree they've had a bad approach. And I think, like, but this the is bad approach I mean, starts with a misassessment of what you're even trying to do. But this is a Phoenix team that, because they are trying to do that, they are making decisions that are sacrificing the long term, which they've done for several years mm. successfully beforehand. They traded away several first-round picks in the past. And look, they were in the WNBA finals. And if they don't collapse in the final five minutes of game four, they're playing game five back in Phoenix in 2021 with a chance to win a title for the fourth time in Diana's career and the fourth time in the franchise's history when they had traded away their 2021 first-round pick, 2022 first-round pick, excuse me, to try to get Kia Nurse in into their organization. They had traded their 2023 first-round pick ahead of last season to to reshape that roster when what they were hoping was going to have Diamond Shields and Tina Charles alongside Griner, alongside Skylar Diggins-Smith and Tarasi. But when it hasn't worked, they have kept going after it in that regard. They've already mm -hmm. now traded their 2025 first effectively via swap rights to the New York Liberty to get Michaela Onyenwede, who's been solid for them. But She's the been surprisingly great as a play finisher, both shooting and on the interior this year. I've been really impressed by her. But, but if that's if that's your second best offensive player, I mean, and the bigger problem is that even knowing that it was a bit of a mystery that what whatever Brittany Griner was going to be able to do on the floor, she has returned and has been basically the same player, if not even better than she was than the player in 2021 who finished second in the MVP voting, mm -hmm. and they are still in 12th place in the WNBA, the worst team in the league, and seemingly have no necessary end in sight for what they're doing. They play, we are recording this Tuesday afternoon. They play Wednesday afternoon against Las Vegas. If they lose in the way that I think a lot of people will expect them to, given the fact that Vegas is the best team in the WNBA and Phoenix is the worst, they will fall to two and nine before they have a matchup against the Seattle storm. And, and it just, it does not seem as if there's relief coming for a Phoenix team because they don't necessarily seem to be anticipating a return to the floor in Phoenix for Skylar Ding and Smith. And that's kind of the problem of when you know you're trying to compete, but you can't 
properly evaluate the roster that you have, it certainly feels as if that is the biggest problem right now that Phoenix has had. And it's a compounding problem from last season, which had an even bigger caveat to it. But you can remove the caveat that, you know, the Griner situation from last season, as horrible as it was, was hanging over this team. Griner's back. She looks great. And yet still, here we are. Yeah. If you want to talk about, like, not being able to self-scout, which comes up, which is again a baseball thing that comes up a lot, as, you know, me and Hunter and Lincoln, who you can all listen to on our Saturday pod, we pull a lot of our stuff from the baseball approach because that's the most advanced scouting, you know, industry approach that's existed for a while. You, you want to talk about not being able to self-scout. The the first-round picks that they've made since, not even the first pick, just their, their draft picks overall, since they selected Brittany Griner first in 2013, have included Isabel Harrison, Courtney Williams, uh, uh, Alana Smith, Stephanie Talbot, jo- uh, Jocelyn Willoughby. These are all decent. These are all decent to very, very good WNBA players, all of whom they like immediately traded away after their after their rookie years. These are players who would really help them out this year. The, the only players that they are able to retain. I mean, they let Bri- Brianne January walk when they really needed to keep her around. The only players they've been able to keep are the ones that they have frankly have frankly you know jim Pittman wants everyone to be paid what they're worth but whatever is very he's top. he is intentional about that he wants his superstars to be paid every last dollar that they can and they'll figure out the rest of the roster from there and there is a commendable they haven't been able to figure out the rest of the contracts on the roster you know i thought at the time that brianna turner's contract which i believe pays her about 150 or 160k it's one value flat. Yeah, one eighty-five for the defense she had been providing in prior years. That's it's not it's not a great deal, but like it's probably about market value. If you can build around that, they've never really tried to fit that in, especially well in like the basketball sense. It just sort of worked because Brittany Griner was a really good big big passer. But Brianna Turner's taking a step back this year, and it makes that contract a lot of dead weight. Paying, they're paying Sophie Cunningham a heck of a lot of money, and Sophie Cunningham is a is a very good offensive player. She's she, she's she's a hell of a shooter. They're paying her, they're paying her like she is Lexi Brown. She's not Lexi Brown. Well, and, and specifically with Turner, the alarming part was that Turner was somebody who was averaging has never been an offensive threat per se, but was averaging yeah. almost eight points a game in 2021. And really, I mean, she offensively won them a game against Vegas in the semifinal series that year because of just being able to play off of Griner, off of Tarasi, and off of Diggins Smith at the time and really do well. And this Phoenix team doesn't seem to have a trustworthy primary ball handler, distributor, playmaker in that regard who can do it independent and kind of collapse defenses. And then it makes it easier to defend Griner, who is still scoring even with that. But Turner is the player who seems to suffer the most offensively. She's down to 1.9 points per game through her first 10 games this season. And the rebounding isn't there. She's obviously lost a ton of the playing time to get that. But she was up to almost 10 rebounds a game in that 2021 season. And her and Griner were an excellent pair because Griner would effectively box out the best big on Mm -hmm. the other team. And Turner would clean up almost everything that was there. And that just isn't happening anymore. And this Phoenix team just looks so disjointed and so discombobulated a lot of the time that it it has to be alarming for a team that you know does have players in Diana Taurasi and Brittany Griner who have been peak of the league top of the league players in their careers and you could argue Griner is still right there right now and I would make that argument and yet this team is doesn't seem to you know we're a fourth of the way through their season but 
it's hard to picture it going differently than it's gone. Yeah, and you mentioned, we've obviously mentioned having the issues with management in terms of you know being able to self-scout, being able to build out a roster that you know fits in the cap and also fits on the basketball court. You know, an- another player like Brianna Bren- Turner, who's I thought is has been on a good contract for what she was and what she projected to be. Mariah Jefferson, you talked about the issue with not having that reliable lead initiator collapse defense by herself. That's Mariah Jefferson was the top five point guard, pretty solid in Minnesota last year. She was she was a revelation. She was excellent on both sides of the floor uh, as one of the deck defender, as a pick and roll guard who could also you know hit shots off the ball. Really, really good in that sense. And that's what they signed her. The dollar figure they signed her was to keep being that. We talked about the mismatch with Benage, but here's your mismatch with coaching because they're not running a pick and roll offense. They have some, they run pick and rolls. Everyone runs pick and rolls since the year of our Lord 2023. They're still running this Princeton offense that Vanessa got Nygaard brought with her. They, I mean, they literally ran the Stanford offense, like, like the, off, the playbook from the school, just the, the playbook itself with no changes. That's what they were running last year. They're still running, you know, that, that extraordinarily Princeton offense this year. The only the wrinkles they have are off ball. Uh, staggers are off-ball uh, double screens along the baseline for Sophie Cunningham, which are good wrinkles. You have a good movement shooter. Use her. She's expanding her game in that sense. But Mariah Jefferson is supposed to be offensively your head of the snake. She's your point guard. She's a she could be a very good point guard. They're they're not running a pick and they're just not running a pick and roll based offense. Which when you have Brittany Grinder, when you have Brianna Turner, it's insane that you wouldn't do that. This is what Sandy ran there for years for obvious reason, and. It's, and this is sort of one of the more minute things that for Vanessa, for Vanessa Nygaard, it's setting up the offense, it's setting up Mariah Jefferson and by extension the whole offense to fail because you're not getting into actions that make defense collapse and rotate. You're not you're not setting that up. Mariah Jefferson is asked to toggle more than she's asked to be a pick and roll operator. And it just doesn't, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't, it's not the personnel you, you have. Yeah, and Jefferson, I mean, her assist numbers, she averaged 4.9 assists last year in 30 games in Minnesota. She is down to 1.9 assists this year in the seven of their 10, excuse me, in nine of their 10 games so far in Phoenix. And the minutes, I mean, she was playing 27 minutes a night last year. She's only at 22 tonight, 22 a night this year, but the assists have dropped by three, which would just tell you that the ball's not in her hands as often. And that is, it's, it is just an on-court mess in Phoenix at this point. And it's tough to envision them doing what they did last year, which is where, they were at a very similar point. I believe they were two and eight last year through 10 games in the 36 game season and were able to just sneak their way into the playoffs on the last day of the season. But it is harder to see what the fixes could be because last year the fix was, all right, just go super small. But that's a lot harder to do when you have Brittany Griner as the player in there with the roster that they have. And it wasn't just go super small, it's go super small and shoot a lot, which you could do when Diana Torlasi was able to still be a really effective and versatile shooter last year. And they were able to do those things last year. The, I, I, I know we're going long here, um, so, so, so I'll try to wrap it up. But, like the, the, but as you're saying, Mariah Jefferson's assist number is dropping. You know, she, was, she was hitting really well. Her true shooting, her scoring efficiency me- uh, measurement was basically right about the exact same number this season as it was last year in Minnesota when she was solidly above league average. Um, it was about the exact same number until she had the ankle injury uh, a couple of weeks ago. And she, you know, it hasn't quite been the same since. And part of that's on 
you know, part of that's on the recovery, part of that's on performance since part of that's on what's being asked of her because those assist numbers were even down early on because again, it wasn't a pick and roll offense. It wasn't a movement offense. It was your assists are going to be getting the ball into Brittany Griner in the block and then just kind of moving around and and preventing a double from getting there, which is a fine form of offense, sure, but it's it's optimizing one player. At, it's not even optimizing one player. It's a good look for one player at the, at the expense of the rest of the team. There are ways that you can take what Vanessa, the system Vanessa Nygaard has come from, the Princeton offense, and you can incorporate pick and rolls as a base of the offense. I, you know, this is just me speaking from the experience that I've covered. But Carol Lawson to do. It's obviously not a standard offense, but like I would say there's a lot more on personnel than play calling. They run a lot of really interesting pick and roll stuff and they weave it excellently into into the Princeton looks that they that Lawson likes to get to. It's really possible. There are very obvious examples. And but they just I don't know where the disconnect here is in terms of the coaching side and, you know, who isn't able to get this message through to who, but it, it, it's a problem. That's, it's going to keep holding them back. Well, the one thing that you can at least say is a saving grace for Phoenix relative to what they usually have had if they were in a season like this at any point is they have at least kept their 2024 first round pick. So if it does <laughs> not go, though, if it continues abreast of the way that it's currently going, they can at least be at the very top of what, and Adler, you can probably tell me more than better than anyone is a pretty darn good 2024 draft class coming in. It's it's pretty good. It you know it it probably will have a top five lottery of all time, and that's where Phoenix is headed. And Adler, where can the people find you if they want to read your work or see what you're saying about the WNBA? course you can always find me at thenexthoops.com where you can find all of our written coverage you can find my uh you can find my regular slash irregular features on the league as a whole my sunday notes column on the on-court machinations across the whole league and that's also where you can find me heading our written coverage of the wnba draft and amateur scouting at all levels you can also find me on twitter at m underscore adler that's at em underscore adler and you can also find me on our Saturday Locked On podcast with, with uh, host Hunter Cruz and uh, co-host Lincoln. And I'm Alex Simon. You can find me at Alex Simon Sports on social media. Be sure to check out Bay Area News Group for what I do. Thank you all for making the Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast your first listen every day. Tomorrow on the show, Howard is back. And hey, speaking of those Los Angeles sparks we were talking about earlier, Carly Samuelson is joining the show. She is having a marvelous season in L.A., and Howard is going to talk to her about what her growth has been like, what it's been like to find your footing in the WNBA and really find a spot with a suddenly contending LA Sparks team. Thank you all for joining us and have a lovely Wednesday. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball.